And here we go. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this Monday, February the 15th, in the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we like to look at a lesson for the coming Sunday, which is the first Sunday in Lent, February the 21st, 2021. Uh, the lessons are from the Old Testament, Genesis 22, Abraham told by God to sacrifice his son. The gospel is from Mark 1, Jesus' baptism and the beginning of his preaching that the kingdom of God is at hand. We're going to take a look at the epistle for this coming Sunday, James chapter 1. Now, my technique, especially in sermons, Bible classes, as well as seminars that I deliver, is to begin with a question that I think even most Lutherans will get wrong. So here's a question for this particular lesson. Is there anything that is not possible for God to do? And I guarantee you, if I ask, put your hand up if you think there are things God cannot do, hardly any hands go up at all. Because of Bible passages that say, for with God all things are possible, and so forth. And then I say, no, I disagree with that. There are things that God cannot do. And Everybody's eyes open up. What are you talking about? And then I give some examples. The one example I always give, do you believe that God can send a Christian to hell? And the answer is no. He cannot send a Christian to hell. And there are other things he can't do. And that's what today's lesson is about. I would ask the question in this way. Do you think that God can tempt anyone? And they would all say, well, sure, he can give temptation. And, and they'll give an example like Adam and Eve in the garden. Had God not put in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, there would have been no temptation. Then I go ahead and explain that there's a difference between having a temptation and also being led into temptation. For example, when I got my driver's license, my parents allowed me to use the car occasionally, maybe to go to a sports game at the high school or even to dance. Now, for some reason, I had a problem in keeping under the speed limit. And so while I had this car and was using it for a couple of years, I ended up getting around five tickets. Now, my parents didn't know about it because I would go and pay for the ticket for going over the speed limit. You didn't have to go to court in those days. You could just pay even by mail. 
Now, am I going to say that my parents tempted me to go over the speed limit because they gave me a car? No. Any more than God tempted Adam and Eve to sin just because there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil. No. God does not lead anyone to be tempted. And that's what today's lesson is about. It's from James chapter 1, beginning with verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Now, the Old Testament reading about Abraham willing to sacrifice Isaac is a good example. It's not that he stood the temptation that God led him into, but he stood the test that God had put him in. And he agreed to put his son to death. Now, why would he do that after God had given a promise that through his son there would be a wonderful blessing to the whole earth? In fact, that's in verse uh, 17 and 18 of Genesis 22. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. And then, because you have obeyed my voice. Wow. That sounds like Abraham is saved because of his obedience. But that's not correct. It's no doubt that God is thankful that Abraham was willing to obey his voice. But that was due not in order to get to heaven, but that was due to faith. In fact, in the book of Hebrews, Abraham is one of those who is in that chapter 11 about great faith. And it says that Abraham was willing to kill his son because he believed that even after being knifed and burned as a sacrifice, God would still raise his son Isaac from the dead. In fact, he had taken two young men with him when he had to go up on the mountain. And after a while, he told them, it was on the third day, that you stay here with the donkey to the young men. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Now, was he lying? No, according to Hebrews, he believed that Isaac would be raised from the dead. That's called faith. And when you have that kind of faith, you are obedient. So even though the verse says that your offspring shall be the, a blessing to all the nations of the earth, because you have obeyed my voice, that obedience comes 
not from a motivation that I want to obey your voice in order to earn my way to heaven, but I will obey your voice because I believe your promise that through Isaac, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And remember, Abraham didn't have any other children. And the odds of him having another child when he was at that time over 100 years old and also his wife was over 90 years old, well, that wasn't even thinkable. So he believed that God would raise him from the dead. So this was not a temptation. It was a test. And Abraham received the crown of life because God had promised that to those who love him. Now, you can't love someone without having faith in them, without trusting them. Verse 13 is the point we want to make, though. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. See, that's why when Jesus appeared to break the ceremonial laws in working on the Sabbath with his disciples plucking grain, that that was forbidden because that was work. Remember what he said? Well, if one of you has one of your animals, say a donkey, fall into a ditch on Saturday, are you going to wait till Sunday to get him out of the ditch? And then he also pointed out that those who work very much on Saturdays are the priests who are preparing sacrifices. And so this idea of Jesus having to follow the commandments that he set up is ridiculous. It's not that he's breaking them. He is God, and therefore there's nothing he did that was a sin. And therefore, he was not tempted by his father to do those items. No. Even the cross cannot be considered a temptation. So, and we hear this every now and then. <coughs> Excuse me. Had a sneeze coming. All right. What do we hear? Occasionally I'll have someone on the radio who doesn't like infant baptism. And when they call, I try and get the conversation going over to infant baptism because they don't believe in it. And one time, one of the callers said, no, you are of the devil if you believe that you have to baptize an infant or you must baptize infants. And I said, well, that's a sin to say that I'm of the devil. And she replied, she says, no, the devil made me say that. So she was saying that that was the word of God and that therefore God through the devil had tempted her. Well, that's ridiculous. God never tempts anybody to go against the word of God. Remember the transfiguration last week? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. 
And at the very point that God said that, guess what? Elijah and Moses disappeared. And the disciples found themselves alone with Jesus. He's the one alone we listen to. And that doesn't mean we don't listen to what Elijah is saying or Moses is saying, but they were saying it by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, they were, when we trust what they say, we're again listening to Jesus. So verse 13 is the law. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. That's why Jesus was so successful when the devil attempted to tempt him in the wilderness. Remember, each time he quoted a portion of the book of Deuteronomy to indicate that he would not follow the will of the temple. And nobody would suggest that God was using the devil to tempt Jesus. No. So why are we tempted? Well, James continues, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Now, we see this all the time, even within congregations. Ask any pastor, and he's counseled a married couple. Perhaps one of them has got someone else on the side, and this is wrong. It's called adultery. And guess what happens? It can grow to the point where it gives birth to sin, which would be a divorce. Or if you watch the FBI files, which are true stories, many a spouse has actually killed the other spouse in order to be with the person that they want to be with. So that's what's happening here. When God authorizes a marriage. Nobody can say, therefore, that he's tempting you to be with someone else. No, that comes when you are lured and enticed by his own desire. In fact, I just saw a movie where a man and a woman decided to have an open marriage. You know what that is, an open marriage? It's when each of them can have other partners. Well, once they decided that, I'm looking at this, I said, this is not going to last very long. And sure enough, it didn't. Uh, the husband ended up putting his wife to death. He was arrested, and he's in jail for the rest of his life. You can't go against the will of God and imagine that there will be no negative consequences. God builds in negative consequences to sin. Ask Adam and Eve. They were out of the Garden of Eden, 
And remember the reason? So they would not eat of the tree of life. Because then they would never die. But that doesn't mean they wouldn't be growing old. They would grow old and lose their hearing, maybe become blind. Parts of their body wouldn't work. That's a terrible curse to have, just to stay alive. And so what God did is he removed them from the garden and told them that their death, which he had promised them, would take place. But then he gave them the good news that through the seed of Eve would come a Savior, Genesis 3.15, who would come to save them. So how could we summarize what James is saying here? We, we do this a lot of times in catechetical class. We say, you cannot be tempted by, the, by God, but you are tempted by the devil, the world, and your flesh. What does that mean? Well, the devil is always trying to get us to think of going against God's will. If not by deed, sometimes by word, sometimes by thought. The world is a great temptation. For example, in many places in the world, even in the United States, public schools are teaching that the gay lifestyle is okay because that's the way people are born. Now, I saw another segment on YouTube where a person was said he was born to kill. And he enjoyed putting the people to death, sneak up behind them, knife them, and then run away. And this is a true story. There was about seven people who died before he was caught. Now, that's the world giving an okay. Because we live in the time of evolution, where there is no morality at all. And therefore, you can do whatever you want. And then say, well, God made me this way. See, this is a way in which people are giving God the blame for tempting them to do a lifestyle that is contrary to his will. And that's something that the church needs to be speaking out against a lot of times. Look at how many children up to about what, six or seven years old are very obedient, very loving. Then they're sent to a school and they get involved with a group of children that kind of entice them to do things, maybe on drugs, maybe stealing. And the parents are just shocked when they find out that their child has been arrested. They can't understand it. Now, that's the world. And the world works through people we know. E even Christians can run into that problem. 
you can be at a in a certain business where you are not allowed to witness. And when I say witness, is not only to talk about Jesus as the only Savior, but also what his will is. It's just really amazing to me how many times violence occurs where two people are living together and not being married. And what crosses my mind is, what did you expect? There's no blessing. A regular marriage is one built on holy matrimony. But living together is unholy fornication. God does not bless that marriage. And that can be seen. And that's why the church needs to help people become aware of not living according to the will of God. Or when they break the will of God, which every one of us does, then are we going to repent of it? Well, the world tells you, you don't have to repent because these are not sins. And from an evolutionary point of view, they're correct. I mean, you've got male lions who at times will eat the little lions that are born. A lot of times the female lion is the one who has to protect her babies from the father. Now, that's evolution. What are you going to do? Arrest a lion? Put him in jail because he's going against the will of God? No, they have no will of God. It's evolution. And so there are some programs where this evilness on the part of people comes through again and again. Uh, one of the best I like watching are Midsummer Murders. Hardly anybody is really people of integrity or a person of integrity. They're always thinking of ways to make themselves look good. And that's the third way in which we are tempted, by the devil, the world, and our flesh. How are we tempted by our flesh? The motivation behind that is not love of Jesus Christ, obviously, but self-interest. Never do you do a sin without the motivation of self-interest. Because you decide that your interests are more important than God's. Now, can you break out of that sinful relationship with the devil, the world, and the flesh? That's why Jesus Christ came. He came in order to pay the payment for those sins. Nobody can say God tempted me because God is the one who frees me from doing these temptations. And even when I fall into them, which is sin, he moves me to repent of those sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. Jesus is the answer. And as we're moving into the season of Lent, 
that becomes even more clear that the purpose of his mission, according to the Gospel of Mark, he says, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. See, that's exactly the message of John the baptizer. He came with a baptism of repentance. And why did he do that? To prepare the way for people to believe in the gospel. And what's the gospel? It's the good news that all your sins have been carried to the cross of Jesus who paid for them. So through repentance, one receives not more temptation from God, because we're not tempted by God, but one receives the glorious gift of salvation. So that it doesn't matter how much of a sinner you are, when you die, you will be before God in the Spirit. On the next Law and Gospel, with the help of Pastor Mark Smith, we'll take a look at the Ash Wednesday hymn, From Depths of Woe I Cry to Thee. That's repentance and faith. I'm Tom Baker. Till tomorrow, God bless you. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.